Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. And welcome to episode nine of Engaging ESG. Today, we're answering your questions about all things ESG comms and offering up this awesome reminder that if you're joining us for the first time, please check out our earlier episodes. They're all there in the feed. And please help us grow by sharing our show with your favorite ESG professional. Yes, today I'm really excited to turn the mic over to you, our audience, who's been giving us such great feedback about the show thus far. Thank you. And, you know, here's some discussion of topics that maybe we haven't mentioned too much or maybe ones that we haven't touched on in detail. And so you asked them and we're answering them. (laughs) Well, okay. So on that that note, I'm going to, I need like some sort of sound effect. I'm looking at all (laughs) the questions. So I'm going to pull this one out for you. How do you customize your ESG comm strategy for a global audience, especially when your company is US based? I have a feeling this was one of our former coworkers talking. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I think, yeah, this is a great question. I think many folks listening work in global companies that have a lot of variability in terms of how much their executives or their teams understand the concept of ESG. And one thing that I find so interesting about this work is kind of the global push and pull of different regions. I saw this at Meta and Google, and I'm sure other folks have as well as, you know, in many ways, our European colleagues and those based in EMEA are a bit ahead of us in terms of accepting that climate change is real having national policies around it. And the government push there has kind of ensured that the business community is also a couple steps ahead. And then you have US companies who are in a little bit of a different socialization state, shall we say, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> with ESG, putting it lightly. And they are feeling this pull from Europe. And then also they have HQ, which is maybe not fully up to speed or socialized on the ESG topics. And I think this is a really interesting tension because we used it in the past to kind of strategically get more support right. for ESG. Look like where if we're you're, going. You're yeah, where are you saying, going? You know, yeah. And like how well is your kind of EMEA strategy and EMEA communications going right. as a company? And is there a desire for more growth or engagement there? ESG sustainability communications can often be used as a really nice carrot because no doubt that you have European counterparts and customers that are looking for this information. And that can kind of 
help guide how you think about a globalization strategy, which is not to say that it is important to also think about this for a LATAM market and Asia as well. But I feel like as far as the maturity curve, that's that's what I've seen a lot of. How about you, Jen? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing with APAC and LATAM is always remembering that they're part of this conversation too. And that because you can get kind of pulled into the the giants of the conversation right now when actually a lot is happening and we do need to bring in all of Asia that where the the emissions are coming from in China you know this is, is super important to us as a planet but it tends to be this hegemony of US UK or EU so it's important. It's a constant reminder that if you're a global company, this is a global strategy. It, it's as simple as that for me. Yeah, definitely. I think it's really a great opportunity to engage your U.S. counterparts and maybe let them know that you know we are a little bit behind and use that also as motivator sometimes yeah, to get folks up to speed. Always like a little competitive spirit in business. <laughs> yes, but for sure. Okay, that was a great first one to start us off. Maybe I will switch us over to our second question here and yeah. we'll have we'll have you start us off, Jen. Okay. So this question asker poses the question, how do we build a dialogue with an eager partner with limited resources? I want to be sensitive uh, to yeah. this situation for them, but also their important partner for us in our stakeholder engagement strategy. For sure. And it starts with over communicate, over communicate, over communicate. And I think one of the areas that often happens, like a, a moment of frisson with any outside partner, but especially kind of smaller, you know, like we're so eager to do something, is that they don't realize how slow it can take a big behemoth company to move on something. And so it is about over communicating of like, these are the steps. This is the workflow it takes to get content approved. Everything we do, we'll have to run through legal. Everything right. we create, we'll have to run through brand. So just from a workflow process is just being really clear. And that's on us as the bigger partner in this area and who know how the inner workings of these things go is to communicate that so that they're not surprised because they're always surprised. Everyone's surprised. You've taken it as the norm because you've had to live in it for so long. But when you explain it to outsiders, like all the different steps that'll have to happen, it's always kind of like eyes go wide. But I think it's what's going to be expected, who will do what. And there is always an expectation that the big company has all the resources. And Mm -hmm. I have yet to find that is the case. (laughs) It's like, Everybody cries for more resources and just, you know, how loud, how big and all all the like. So I think it's constantly auditing in a sense of who can do what, who is responsible for what, and just to set expectations of what will get done and how and when. And also to respect the partner Mm -hmm. that, yes, you are the big company, you have some big platform, but this partner comes with probably an expertise, a dedicated audience, and their numbers may be smaller, but they may be way more passionate. And so have that engagement respect for the partner. 
Yeah, I think the point around milestones is a really important one because with limited resources, you want them to feel like they're also getting early wins. Yes. And so understanding, you know, who else are they partnering with? What are their end of year goals? That can be kind of a helpful negotiation tactic to make sure that even if there's less resources than they thought were available, that yes. you are really prioritizing your time together and that like you have an aligned vision and goal there. That is very good. Yeah. Meeting agendas are your friend. <laughs> <laughs> always, always. Always. Love a good doc. Love a good doc. Okay. So I have this one for you. Activist investors, activist employees. How do you approach an activist investor, activist employees? How do you balance external pressures when you're trying to create internal change? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting question because while many people would note, you know, an activist investor is not the same as an activist employee, I think maybe what the question asker here is linking is that these are people that are going rogue. Yeah. <laughs> you right. try, you're trying Calling to build you a out. program. Yeah, yeah. You're trying to build a program with internal champions and employees are saying that's not enough. You're trying to work with investor relations and the board and kind of set an external guide and calm strategy. And there's investors that are saying that's not enough. And I think, you know, as I've experienced, we've experienced this a couple of times in our career on the investor piece, I think this really comes back to relationships. Mm. Ideally, from an ESG comms perspective, you have friends and confidants on the investor relations team on the finance team, you know, these folks that are regularly dealing with investors. And so they're hopefully doing a bit of sensing beforehand. And yeah. they know that you and your team that represents some of the ESG and sustainability work are a partner. Ideally, you know, they often have processes in place for how to kind of deal with an activist investor. I know a lot of times there's kind of trying to bring them to the table, have conversations about what change needs to happen. And so I think those are, you know, always good processes to go through. Mm -hmm. And yet, if this investor is asking for more action on climate or more aggressive targets on something related to ESG, in some ways, I say, bring it on. Yeah, use it to your <laughs> you know? advantage. Yeah. Because, Hello, comms executive. Yes. Yeah. I think that there's certain executives and folks within organizations that maybe won't listen until there's a really loud external voice. And while I do not think this is a business strategy, please yeah. do not take this as like, yes, go seed some yeah, go <laughs> <laughs> investors to become activists. I do think it is, it's an interesting opportunity and that actually pairs with my answer around the employees too, because I think sometimes when you have internal employees that feel like the company isn't doing enough and they make a big stink about it, that can feel a little bit kind of like a thorn in your side because you're trying to build a lot in terms of programming and communications, but also they probably are merited, you know, they yeah. probably have a good perspective and you as a professional in this space are kind of slowly moving the ball forward to make the small wins that you can. They're not seeing that. They want faster action. Yeah. And it's totally normal to feel frustrated when you see that. I was going to say, you know, like acknowledge your frustration and your <laughs> Do you know how hard it was for me to get X done? You know. But also like, how can you use them as a force for good? 
Like, do they sit, are they an organized group? Do they sit in a certain part of the company that can like help you maybe get traction on something that you've been trying to do with your current relationships and back channels and hasn't been possible and never let a crisis go to waste. And so I think both situations are really scary for folks in this space, understandably, because there's just a lot of uncertainty and a lot of like fire that could get thrown at the work of you and your team. But I would also suggest that you think of them as opportunities, especially if you're able to speak one-on-one and learn more about kind of what they're asking for and potentially also use those examples as you try to push the work farther with more momentum. I think that's excellent advice. It's always hard to not be defensive or maybe that's just me. Yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) So I think uh, acknowledge your defensiveness and then move, move through it. Deep breathing will help. Deep breathing will help. A little post-it that says it's not about me. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Not personal, just business. Also helps. Yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, I'm going to ask the next question here, which is staying kind of in the space of looking at internal champions for this work. And the question says, I have executives that are trying to backtrack our ESG strategy work because of the quote, woke news backlash. Any advice for how to keep them on track? I mean, I have quips aplenty, but I think this is where hopefully your narrative has been has been honed and you're talking about, you know, this is the homework we did. These are our values. I think one thing is tying this to values. What it does your brand stand for, what your company stand for, and you've done this work to align them. So what is actually the issue here? What are you what are you worried about? And this is when you can hear me get a little defensive because I'd be so exhausted of like, do you again? you know the work we did? So we're going to do deep breathing through it. And kind of, and I would say one of the things to do is to get very schooled into what's exactly the pushback that is touching, you know, it's touching a nerve for your leadership. Is it about the stock price? Is it an activist investor that is anti-ESG? What is the actual problem? Because unlike, you know, when my dad comes for me from something that Fox News said, don't just flare and start throwing metaphysical punches. You got to actually hear what the actual point is that's coming. Because only that way, let the rest of it is extraneous. Get down to what the frisson is. What's the nerve point? And then hopefully you've done your values and you can make the... I I don't know if argument is the right word, but you can point out that this is core to our being. This is core to our value. And we believe in these great things. And I know, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. And the other thing that maybe could be helpful too is think about other like controversies that your company has been through that also had to do maybe with news and backlash and, and hearkening back to that. And if it's a useful example, you know, reminding the executive of how you made it through that time and, you know, things will change. And I think that can also be helpful as like you doing a, a framing reference point a little yeah. bit around how, yes, this feels new and hard and scary, 
but it is similar to many challenges that business leaders go through. And so we're going to stay the course like we have in the past. Yes. And good luck. Godspeed. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Okay. How do you build executive support for ESG within a company? So I think here we're, I'm going to assume there are some pieces and parts in place and you're kind of wanting to bring them together, have a, a more comprehensive ESG strategy. And you can do a lot of stuff from the grassroots up, but you always need executive buy-in to put resources to it, to say this is important. What would be your first steps? Yeah, I think to your point, executive buy-in is ideal and often a lot easier to talk about than actually to get. Mm. So I think starting with your own executive leadership uh, chain and thinking about where you and your team sit in the organization and where your executive has relationships. Uh, Go with folks that are already friendly. (laughs) Right. And then, of course, you know, within the space of ES&G, depending on what topics you're prioritizing, there's going to be key cross-functional team members and executives to bring in. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes if you're just starting on this journey, it's a little easier to identify who are the friends, who are the people we already know, and kind of do a bit of a mapping exercise with your executive leader. Another thing that I've seen work really well is doing a type of kind of ESG council or sustainability council. Ah, yeah where you basically identify who the key leaders are, kind of get them socialized on the movement the company is going in. And then yourself or potentially your executive or your leader starts kind of chairing conversations. It's kind of like a little like mini ESG board of directors. It's kind of formalizing, you know, it's starting to frame to kind of let the concrete set a little bit. Completely. And that gives then you and the partner teams that are driving this work across ESG the opportunity to maybe have quarterly or bi-monthly opportunities to report out on the work that you're doing and kind of get input. I think identifying with your leadership, you know, who's on this council and therefore like how can we empower them as decision makers? People love thinking that they're input is valuable and everyone has a bunch of meetings on their calendar. So if you can be really thoughtful about not only what gets shared on these calls, but also how you're kind of getting a pulse check from these executives to sign Mm -hmm. off, yeah, that will make them want to show up and participate. Oh, I love that. That is great. And once again, this is the theme of this meeting uh, or this episode is meeting agendas are your friend. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And expectation setting, right? Yeah. If you can get in front of people of what you'll be talking about, how it relates, if you're at a point where you're starting to do these types of presentations to the board, of course, that's also super relevant. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think a mix of folks who are friendlies, who are already on your side, and then also maybe some reach candidates, you know, there's always going to be teams and individuals that are a little harder to bring in. Yeah. And that could be because they don't totally buy into the ESG strategy for the company, or they have. 12,000 things on their plate. And so identifying them as, you know, folks that are priority to bring in and thinking through how to do that without spending all of your energy on those folks. On the one, the one reach candidate. Yeah. Because, you know, their buy-in will be so tempting to go after, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, oh my gosh, even that team is supports this effort. Yeah. Yeah. It's a balance. It is a balance. And actually the topic of balance, I think is 
a really nice segue into our next question, which gets to the E, S, and G priorities. So as a reminder, it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And this person asks, how do I differentiate between competing ESG priorities in my communications? Is there one letter uh, or focus area that is more important than others? Well, I mean, certainly we don't talk a lot about the G in these episodes, you know, corporate governance. That stuff is the SEC reporting and sharing about how the company is actually run and the like. Certainly that's important. That comms tends to be, in my experience, very regimented. You know what you're going to say and when you're going to say it. And so it's hard to say that it's not as important. I just think that that's going to do what it must be done. You better do it right or you'll get in trouble. But (laughs) with the E and the S, I think part of it comes down to the goals of the company, the narrative of the company. I mean, who is to say that diversity and inclusion is more important than sustainability and climate change? We're not here to stack rank of the two. Definitely, I think we're going to talk about it in our next episode is how to bring them together. But I I think, you know, but we can only do so many things. You can't boil the ocean. I think it comes down to you know, when you've done that homework about the narrative of what the values are for your company and the brand and and all that sort of jazz, that's going to point you in the direction of who gets a little bit more attention from you. I think. What do you think? No, I think that's right. And I think that, you know, another thing to take into account is where is your company naturally already leaning? You know, where's the momentum? Right. Where's their momentum? And I find a lot of times that maybe companies have a little bit more of a mature S program. Yeah. They've been doing diversity inclusion. Maybe they've been doing philanthropy, different social impact pieces. And so there's a bit more comfort around some of those topic areas, whereas the E and the G are a little bit newer and still taking a little bit more time for folks to get up to speed with. And so- I think if you can do a little bit of that kind of assessment of like where there's already momentum and resources, that can then also help you identify where to put a little bit more energy because there hasn't been as much of a maturity scale. Right. I almost think uh, the Ouija board tells you where to go. You know, it's uh, your narrative. <laughs> Tell us more, Jen. What do you mean yeah, by that? It's a definitely that there is a a sense, there's a core value to your company and it's leaning to what you're saying. It's leaning in one direction Mm -hmm. and that makes it, well, you know, if you're out there pitching, if part of your comms is PR pitching and media relations, where do you have a story to tell? That'll Mm -hmm. determine it too. And then if part of your comms strategy is to build up the part that has been kind of more nascent, then that will determine it as well, right? That maybe you have a great diversity story, and I hope you do, that your comm strategy and resources need to focus on the E because you haven't told that story yet. And it's a fresh story and a new story. So while Mm -hmm. you will constantly do the social impact comms that you've always done, Maybe you're giving a little bit more brain space and resources to the east side because it's it's fresh and it's new and you're trying to figure it out. 
that's my Ouija and board. also yeah I would agree with that and I'd also just say you know where are there opportunities to link it let's say you're doing a lot of nonprofit partnerships that are yeah. mostly focused in the diversity or social space there's also a lot of nonprofits doing climate work there's also a lot of nonprofits doing water work too like where can you take advantage of once again, where there's already a little bit of infrastructure and momentum within your organization and bridge that to topics that are a little bit newer. Right. I agree. All right. I've got one more question for us. Are you ready? Okay. Last question. Do you have your thinking cap on? (laughs) I do. It's very tightly on. It's on snug. All right. Here we go. (laughs) How do you work with a subject matter expert partner who is all about the weeds when you're desperately trying not to get lost in them with your comms? Yeah. 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 This is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've all been there. Uh, We've all been there. Love, love, love to our subject matter experts. Yeah. Like, honestly, people who are so smart and hardworking, and we're so lucky to get to work with them to help them communicate their work. Yes. I think one of the conversations that I try to have with a subject matter expert that's really getting into the details of what they do is I try to have them think about a recent conversation that they had with a friend or maybe a movie that they saw recently and just try to get them to recall what do you remember about that? What were things that resonated with you? Oh, I like this. Okay, yes. And often what they'll talk about is stories. They'll talk about, you know, maybe there's an emotional hook. It's usually not a lot of details. It's usually not a lot of facts. Yeah. And so I think that can be a nice way of bridging the conversation to like the way that the human mind retains information. And that, of course, in this space, we're always going to be data driven. We know that for sure. But we need to lead with human centered stories. We need to lead with linking back to company values and priorities. And once we hook them with the <laughs> kind of top three messages, then yes, we can have an appendixes of data and that'll be great. And the investors in particular are really excited about that. But in some ways, I think it's almost a little bit of comms training and a little bit of storytelling training to kind of reframe the mindset. Because, you know, I think the way that we do business communications a lot of the time, it's easy to forget that. We are often, you know, talking about year-over-year projections Mm -hmm. and market segmentation and all these kind of numbers, numbers, numbers. But for topics that are a little bit newer or a little bit, I don't know exactly how to say it, just th- these... these um, intense, you intense. know? Intense. <laughs> yeah. They, they are truly very intense topics. And also they're things that people feel like a strong moral values-based yes. opinion about. Unlike- or they studied years and years to get a degree in the yeah. topic. And here comes this person who did not, who's saying, can't we say this a little faster? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with like less words with and a more pure, less. Yes. Yeah. So I think that you bring up another good point, Jen, which is I think building a lot of trust with yes. these partners so that they feel comfortable with you kind of editing. And I think if you also can come to them with examples of what this looks like for other topic areas mm, that are yeah. similar or adjacent, find, sometimes it's just rather than you explaining it to them to just show an example of something that really resonated from a peer of theirs, or it could be even a a different company that can be helpful kind of wrapping your mind around, you know, we want to talk about the work that we do, that you do, we want to celebrate it, but here's, you know, the vehicle and the framing that has really resonated with 
this particular audience in the past, and we're we're hoping to move in this direction. And that, of course, we want it to be right. Like we're here. If it's hurting your soul, let's talk about it. <laughs> yes, yes, we definitely don't want to put out anything that makes the SME unhappy. But yeah, there's always a bit of a balancing game there because we so. have skills too. That's the thing, you know. They come with their amazing skills and knowledge, but we have them as well. And so that's where our superpower is to work together. So, yes, definitely. But it, is, it can be painful. Oh, it can be so painful. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I think if you feel like you're having to cut a lot of information or content, then just take note of that and and discuss with them the next opportunity that we're going Make to try to identify exactly. to talk yeah. about or present. You know, because there's. You and I know, like we're always hungry for content. So if it's not now, it's it's a not yet. And so let's talk about that. And that can also, I think, be really useful for building relationships and just letting folks know that we care about it. To say like, no, I'm here. I'm your partner forever. I want to do all the stories. So yes, (laughs) this is not your only opportunity. I think that can take some of the pressure off as well. For sure. we We can come back and do a whole second story on this thing that you this particular rabbit hole. We can go down every rabbit hole. That they're fun. That that's the whole reason why we're in this business. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. Well, those are our questions. So I'd like to say thank you to our listeners for their amazing AMA questions. It's you made this episode happen, so thank you. And uh we really appreciate it. This work isn't easy, but hopefully we're helping with our little bit of our guidance. Um we see you. And we want to help you, you know, see the path forward to engaging ESG at your own company. Yeah, this was a really fun discussion today. And hearing what our listeners are thinking about helps kind of build my understanding of this space as well. So thanks for continuing the conversation. And stay tuned next week when we're closing out, if you can believe it, this 10-part series (laughs) with a look to the future of ESG comms. Stay tuned. And keep engaging. Thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow. And even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging.